is Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. Welcome back, folks. It is Tuesday, September 7th. This is FUVFC, WFUV's one and only soccer sports talk podcast. I'm Keenan Troy, hosting this week, joined by Emma Zubko and Danny Perry. Ladies, how are we doing? Hanging in there, Keenan. Uh, love talking about soccer. Love being with both of you. I'm ready to speak about how dreadful I feel about the U.S. men's soccer team. But besides that, <laughs> everything's good. How about you, Emma? I'm good. I'm good. Glad to be back. Can't wait to talk about soccer with y'all. Yeah, Danny, as you teased, not really teased, more, more like blatantly called it as you see it. Um, United States men's national team began its Olympic qualifying this past week, playing two matches, one against El Salvador and one against Canada home on Sunday night. Uh, the U.S. were only able to gain two points from a possible six, drawing El Salvador nil-nil in El Salvador, and then at home in Nashville, tying Canada one-to-one. Um, frustrating, I think, would probably be the best word to describe these two past matches for the United States. Um, if you are a recurring listener of our show, you'll know that Keenan Troy is not a fan of the United States men's national team direction at all. Um, and I think this, this past week's performance kind of highlighted a lot of the, I'm going to say insecurities that this starting 11 and, you know, upper level of staffing and coaching kind of have been hiding behind throughout the summer with a, with an okay gold cup campaign. So Danny, I mean, going into a match, in San Salvador, you know you're taking a young team on the road, but you're playing a significantly, at least on paper, weaker El Salvadorian national team. Talk us through your emotions, you know, not even scoring against this team. And with not scoring, not really even looking dangerous against a team that's not even ranked in the top 50 in world football. You know, I saw... I saw this weirdly selfish final third U.S. American team. I don't think our identity is to dribble into the box and beat three players and score. That's just not who we are. We score on mostly set pieces. So I'm watching this game and I'm seeing our players trying to finesse three to four players and beat them. It's just not going to typically happen. We're not Messi. We're not Ronaldo. We have no players like that. We will most likely not have players like that at anywhere in our near future or our lifetime. And it seemed selfish to me. It seemed like we had some players come back that weren't with us throughout the tournament ride. And then they started. I don't know how I feel about that. Um, I'm, I hate to say that I'm blanking out of his name. I'm blanking out of his name, but he, do you know who I'm talking about, Keenan? Because you're very good at this. Um, 
Pulisic would probably be no, the no McKenna the outside Oh, he wore the captain's band. I'm I'm gonna miss. I'm gonna pass. No, it's okay. But basically, what I'm trying to say is, we had some players that weren't with us in in those cup games that we did win, and I and I wonder how much that affected the chemistry of the team. Um, I saw those types of players directing. I would say the younger players, the newer players, but the newer players are the ones that found the way to win. Not that they were great cup game wins or cup, whatever, but. Again, it was a very selfish El Salvador United States game. It was physical. It seemed like we we almost just couldn't take it. Um, I have so many more thoughts of the U.S. team, but I do want to jump to Emma really quick regarding what her first thoughts were as well. Yeah, kind of going off of what you said, Danny, it scares me that there were some injuries in that game. I know. Giovanni Reina got ruled out in that game with that hamstring injury. He's going to miss the game in Honduras. Our goalkeeper tested positive for COVID. Uh, Weston McKinney got suspended because of a COVID mishap. We are really going to need those players going into further games. So definitely looking scary. Yeah, and Emma's and Danny, both something you hinted on um, so lightly was this United States men's national team is – I had expressed over the summer with the gold cup is the inconsistency with the starting 11. You had a lot of guys in, at least in my opinion, play in that gold cup tournament who probably wouldn't be seeing first team time, but now in world cup qualifying, you've kind of got an infusion of, you know, your normal starting 11, your desk, your Reynas, your Pulisics. And then you've got Matt Turner in goal after Stefan goes, you know, out because of COVID uh, protocol. And then Weston McKenney, you could say selfishly. I believe that's what Landon Donovan called it last night. He's saying selfishly, you know, broke COVID protocol and is unable to compete with this team, you know, a, a center mid that you really need going forward. And so now as we approach Honduras, I think there's a big question mark above the United States identity because you don't want to say it's a must win game because there are 24 games in World Cup qualifying. So yes, dropping points in the first two isn't that significant. But as you go to Honduras to play a Honduran side that you'd think the United States could beat, but after a performance against El Salvador, that wasn't really anything to be proud of. I'm wondering, Danny, is it time to press the panic button? From the past two matches that we've seen, do you think it's appropriate if they do not get a win in Honduras to say, okay, we need to stop. There's something fundamentally wrong with this team and we can't have what happened in Trinidad happen again. I think what I've what I've been listening to, what I've been seeing is there's this comparison people are making between Klinsman and Burrowhalter as coaches and that panic button that you just mentioned. I think the identity of the US men's soccer team, they're actually it's not an identity that couldn't work. It's just not working. So I see them as a low scoring team with defensive power. I don't think it's the greatest defensive power. It's kind of this scrambled, protective defending, I would say good goalkeeping, defensive organization, mitigation type defense, okay? And that works. I mean, we've seen this work with, for instance, Arsenal, who are known to score basically one goal a game, but hold it down. But the problem is, they're able to score. We're not, we have not been able really to score. So 
that panic button, that panic button, I say, I want to see two or three more games before that panic button, but I think, I think it's coming from an offensive side of our, our lack of production. You need to score in order to win. A defense could only win you a championship if you put at least a goal or two on the board. Um, and, and I think that's when the bad panic button is hit, is if we don't start scoring goals. But I will say that we, sh- we are a low-scoring team, unless you're thinking of Martinique, in which was... I mean, a, a crazy, weird, you know, we're versing very low-talented team, no offense to them, but that's the truth. I think we average like 1.1 goal a game or something like that, which really, when you compare it to the other nations, it's nothing. So if you want to be this defensive powerhouse like Burhalter thinks that we can be, you better freaking kick up your, your offense a little bit more. You better start scoring on those set pieces that you guys really only score from because you're not dribbling through four people. Emma, here's to you. <laughs> I think we definitely need in when we play Honduras, I think tomorrow to take the pressure off us a little bit. We're sitting in a fourth place tie, which is not ideal at all. One quote that stuck out to me after the Canada game was by Pulisic who said, himself we need new ideas we didn't test them enough we need new solutions halter said we need a faster ball movement it took too long on the ball we're a 10th place team canada's 59th of course anyone can win but you would expect us to come out with a better score than 1-1 and placement than a fourth place tie it's definitely scary going forward and i i hope that and some new solutions soon but, but here's my problem with that. It's like he wasn't here for, for the cup games. And, like, I understand he had other obligations or even it might have been a coaching decision. But he comes back from COVID protocol and he's like a standing duck there. And he just basically takes a lot of hits. I don't think that even if he is our best player could really say too much right now. So unless he wants to hire himself as coach, why don't you just show the production on the field then and score some goals? That's my opinion on that aspect of his quote. And I'm not going against you. I'm actually going against him as a player. It's I understand that there needs to be solutions, but I think the team looked at him as a solution. And when he had the chance, where was it? It wasn't there. You could only hope that because he kind of is healthy, you know, maybe he was a little rusty, if anything. And that is our solution going forward is him. But then again, a team is then relying on one, two or three players, which I don't think any of the national teams really do. You have a whole group of great players. Keenan. Yeah, I think, you know, a big point of emphasis, at least as the United States kind of regains all those assets that they did not compete with this summer is the level of play, sad to say, completely, at least in my personal opinion, goes down a couple ticks. So, you know, the Pulisic, who is used to bouncing passes off of Conte, Jorginho, out in Chelsea, you know, really accomplished players, you're not going to have that same kind of production. So I think, at least in my opinion, listening to those quotes about his frustration, in my opinion, that falls solely on the coach because you have to coach the talent that's in front of you and the talent that fields you. And a big issue that I noticed in Taylor Twelman, who I often disagree with, but when he gets fired up about the United States men's national team, it's often a good idea to lend an ear to what he is saying. Burl Halter in the game against Canada fields nine out of the same 11, I'm, or I guess we could say eight out of the same 10, because I'm just going to, you know, not include the goalkeeper because fatigue's not an issue. So eight out of the 10 starting field players for the U.S. 
started against El Salvador and he doesn't make a sub until the 81st minute. So you're having guys who, yes, they're phenomenal athletes, but in a one, one tie at that point with Canada, he doesn't go to his bench until the 81st minute to try and maybe get fresh legs on try and you know, retool the offense that we've all seemed to agree on was lacking in these first opening uh, world cup qualifying matches. So Danny, I know that I'm not the biggest believer in Greg Berhalter, but I think where the United States program is in a position now where they have to ride them out through world cup qualifying because you can't insert a new coach in, in what would be must win soccer games. So my question to both you ladies is how is Greg Berhalter going to be able to salvage a game against Honduras in a game after coming off two games in which he did not have an offensive, you know, tactical adjustment to two teams that seemingly you could score goals on. How is he going to make that bridge? Is it going to be players off the bench? Is it going to be a new formation? Danny, what do you envision Burrowhalter doing in order to achieve, you know, a better result than a tie? I think to see, and I don't think this is something that we're going to see. I think these are locker room talks. I think these are practice talks. But I think he needs to emphasize that the selfishness needs to go away, that we need to regain our identity, which was scoring on mostly set pieces, playing collectively, being a defensive power, because I think we are good at defense. I, I do, and I don't think that's a bad thing, like I've said. But along with that means you have to produce. And I think the only way that he saves his job is not only do we win, but we win big. And what I mean by that is like a 3-1, 3-0 win. You know, soccer isn't like a 7 nothing sport. So a 3-1 or a 3 nothing win, I think that solidifies his spot for a little longer. I think it shows that he made the changes necessary. I would like to see us maybe add another forward up top, to be quite honest. Um, I think we do need to score goals because we're not doing it. And, and maybe even a change of forwards. Um, it just needs to all come together. But I do think Christian Pulisic will look better. Um, I think after him coming off that COVID protocol, he was stiff, he was rusty. Maybe another few days gave him some some footwork back, some skills, and, and, and he just needs to be himself on the field. Don't worry about what the coach is doing. Worry about what you're doing. The team relies on him, and that, and that is just, in my opinion, fact. So if he if he has an A game, it's almost like then Burl Halter saves his position. It's all up to him. He definitely has to get more things right in terms of substitutions and squad rotations. They need to execute better in the Canada game. They rarely force the defenders to even commit to like the one on one and to the challenge. And if you don't do that, you're not gonna break their shape. Then the passes you're making are going to be riskier, which are going to result in turnovers and, and dangerous counterattacks, which we saw Canada execute and led to a goal. And I do want to say, and Keenan, I think you could agree at this because you played soccer. Emma, you played as well or no? Yes. Yeah. So we all know that if we were to be given nine in the soccer game, I think we need a little bit more time to feel the game out. So I'm saying if you're going to sub late in the game, at least do like the 75th minute. I think waiting to the 81st, I, I mean, I personally would say the 70th, but I'm just saying though, at, you know, at minimum the 75th. The 81st minute, that is like, I don't know, wishing for cows to start flying on the moon to score a goal. It's not going to usually happen. It happens very rarely, and it'll happen usually on international forces that have great bench players which I can't say our starting 11 is great, so I'm not going to say our bench is great. Another quick thing I wanted to add in here is we did have so many different teams over the summer. This is like another new team. 
So they do need time to get together and figure each other out and figure out how to play together. I will say this though, I'm not going to write the United States off for not qualifying because I know that really wasn't your question, but I'm just saying, Keenan, because I don't believe that pretty soccer wins games because we're not a pretty soccer, but we just need to figure out how to mesh together, how to capitalize when it's necessary. If you were in the 18 yard box, I don't find a reason for you to miss. At, at the end of the day, you have such a large net, you're a professional. If you're within that yard box, you better make sure you put it in the back of the net. Those are my final thoughts. Time seemingly will be the test for this United States men's national team program. But switching over to some other World Cup qualifying news, I think probably the biggest storyline, um, obviously you have Italy breaking the pre-existing record of 35 matches unbeaten, um, moving up to 37. But probably the biggest news in you know sports post-COVID came out of um, a World Cup qualifying match um, in South America between Brazil and Argentina, where um, the Brazilian FA demanded that Argentine uh, Premier League players be pulled out of the game because they were not abiding by certain um, Brazilian imposed COVID guidelines. Um, Danny, I just, I'm just wondering now, like watching that unfold, watching like such an obscene, I'm going to use the word obscene <laughs> stoppage of play and like completely sus- almost a full suspension of a soccer match. Is this what we can expect moving forward, especially in soccer, uh, a sport that, you know, is so all over the world and you come back together to play as one nation. Is this going to be a pattern or do you think that it was a, you know, overreaction by the Brazilians um, who are trying to maybe benefit their side in a tough contest? Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's an overreaction. I think COVID is something that this whole world has been struggling with now for what a year and a half. I think that, these players need to realize that they're not God. They're, they might make a lot of money, but at the end of the day, they should be held accountable, just like every citizen has been held accountable to be responsible, that if you're traveling to make sure you're you know, X, Y, and Z for what, 10 to 14 days, you, you're, you should not be treated any better just because you're a professional athlete. And I think it, and I think you, you mentioned something earlier about the US soccer player, I think it was McKinney, do not be selfish. You are on a team sport here. Do not be selfish. This is the world that you should be caring about. I I think that in soccer, like you said specifically, we will see this problem because we are seeing nations travel to other nations. It's not within the same country. Uh, so regulations do differ probably. But at the end of the day, I think this is something FIFA needs to get a better control over of like, how can we fix this protocol? How can we not have this happen again? Because it was devastating to see such a such an exciting game be stopped. And my only question is, why wasn't it stopped before the game? Why are they were they just realizing this? Like, you know, what what was it like a few minutes after kickoff? I, I don't I don't quite understand that. It seems like even the regulators for for health have have issues going on but at the end of the day no soccer player no athlete is better than anyone or should be exempt from the rules of what is going on in this world it's a serious health crisis and i think we need to take we need to take that seriously so emma let me ask you because danny hinted at it in a post covid i don't know if we can call it post covid yet because you know delta variant now 
what who knows what Greek you know letter of the alphabet's going to be thrown on it next when the new strain comes rolling along. But do you think there's a certain direction FIFA should take? Just because leading up to Qatar, there's at least five international breaks while while men are still playing in their uh, European or foreign domestic leagues. Is there a direction FIFA should head in in terms of not passing legislation per se, but you know guidelines for these players, maybe allocating longer breaks from league play or how, how do you see FIFA navigating this between the international side and the domestic side? Yeah, they definitely need to work on this. This kind of ties into something I remember. They were thinking of having a World Cup every two years instead of every four years and how that would work with COVID still going on and for revenue and how it would work with the schedules of the teams and the international teams and how today it's it's a business they want to make as much money as they can i definitely think they need to look at this closer and this also reminds me of jill ellis i think was hired by by fifa on the women's side to sort out all the schedules and calendars regarding the the world cups for, for soccer and they're definitely looking into it It'll be interesting to see what they do I just wanted to add in there. I mean, Keenan, I think that regarding the domestic and the international side, they need to just, they need to allocate time that if there's going to be a big match or a big tournament, the players need to arrive in that location. The, whatever that, whatever country they're in, whatever their COVID guidelines are, if it's, you have to be here 14 days in quarantine, I'm sorry. I know it sucks for everyone, but you need to do your part then the team needs to be there 14 days prior. If you're not one of those players that are there, you're then either going to miss the match or you're not playing. And and that's the only way to make sure that this is the, the, the playing is fair, the playing is safe, and that these tournaments can continue because you have a few players then that don't follow protocol and if FIFA lets them slide, then you're going to see a whole tournament wiped away because of that. So you need you need the, the teams like you know, like you know, the the Italy's, the the Americas, every 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 head head of the team of international soccer, you need to be on top of your players, on top of your staff, and follow the guidelines. That's it. And the guidelines need to be set, and they need to be clear. And that is something that FIFA needs to do. And regarding Jill Ellis, um, I don't know if it was necessarily for COVID reasons she was hired, but more so to make sure that the men's game does not override the women's game, and just to shift the schedule so that the men's have their allotted slot of time, and then the women's are on TV on their slot of time, so that as we all know, people like to watch men's soccer over female, typically. So that's why Jill Ellis was hired. And I think with the Jill Ellis hire, arguably the godmother of women's <laughs> football, at least for the past uh, two decades, I would say, being the head coach of such a dominant women's national program for the Americans, seemingly the onus is on growing that women's game and maybe not so much competing with the men's, um, because as Danny, you had mentioned, it's kind of, it's difficult to compete on the same level in terms of like TV viewership, sponsorship deals, et cetera, but more so to allocate resources and time and scheduling around what would be most beneficial to help the women's game grow. And Emma, I know, I know you're passionate about Jill Ellison, you know, the women's national team in general. So I was just wondering, I mean, either of you feel free to chime in on this. Does Jill Ellis's 
hiring for FIFA, um, especially for the women's division. Do you see that her her strategies are you know seemingly the reason that she was hired? Is it going to morph the women's game into a completely different sect than the men's, if that makes sense? If women's international soccer will become like a separate entity almost compared to the men's that they will operate under the same larger overarching uh overarching name of fifa but it's going to be an entirely separate enterprise i think it's too early to say what impact she's going to have on how this is all structured but i think this is a definitely this is definitely a good move she knows what she's doing she's team led them to championships and i don't think this can hurt them at all she knows the men's schedule is gonna have to be considered when trying to prop up women's matches and tournaments as well so she's definitely taking that into account this definitely is a interesting hire and uh cool to see what she does with fifa working and going forward yeah i mean i would say it's an interesting hire for sure i don't know if one woman could make that big difference that is necessary. Uh, I, I do like her idea with the time slots. I think that's crucial is not to let them interfere with the men's soccer game because that only could boost viewers. Everybody's craving to watch sports 24 seven. So if you have, it would really, it's really stupid when a men's game is on at the same time as a female's game. I, I really don't understand that. So I'm happy that she makes it seem like it's gonna be easy changes um, to already little, like improve the women's game. But I think there's bigger factors involved here. I spoke um, in previous episodes that I think it's not just the women's game, it's also the men's game, because the women, we are pretty much, I would say, on top of the world. I don't know after the last tournament, but uh, I think there's a fundamental issue with United States soccer that needs to be addressed that I don't think that she will be able to get to. Uh, single-handedly, but maybe she'll be the start of it. But definitely starting with those time slots and, and making sure that viewers can see both sides of uh, the pendulum for U.S. soccer, that's a great start. No doubt it will be interesting to watch the women's game grow even more than it already has. Um, but with, you know, throughout the show, I would say our main focus has been on international soccer, especially professional soccer. But here at WFUV, we like to remind our, ourselves and our audience where we're from and, you know, where our ties run deep. Um, and that would be Fordham. And after a really great campaign last fall, um, mm -hmm. well, actually last fall into the spring, um, for the men's team winning the, uh, the A-10 championship for men's soccer, the men's soccer program this year has not looked like the dynamo team that they were last season starting the season off oh three and one um with one sec double overtime tied to long island university and then a loss to st john's a loss to providence and then i would say a show lacking versus number five in the country georgetown losing four to nothing in a game that respectfully fordham did not look dangerous at all um Danny, Emma, do either of you have any reactions to the current state of Fordham soccer? Obviously, we are here to uplift them and wish them nothing but the best. But after a shocking open to their season, it is looking questionable whether they are going to be retaining that Athletic 10 championship. So Danny or Emma, feel free to chime in. Just what do you what do you hope to see from Fordham in their upcoming matches against Fairleigh Dickinson? and then against uh, Manhattan College, our fiercest rival. 
Well, first of all, dear, uh, you know, Ram family here, there's no hate coming your way. Uh, coming from a soccer player myself, I understand looking at the, the box scores here. I mean, to to allow eight goals in four games and not to produce, I, I don't believe a single goal, it says something. Um, again, you have a forward speaking to you right now. So, you know, forwards, midfielders, find that way to score a goal. It's in you. You have it. It's you guys are coming off of the A10 championship. Like Keenan said, you have you have the weapons. Remember how to utilize them. Remember how to play as a team. Um, nobody's greater than the other, but your defense can't do it all clearly, and that's okay. Not every team is meant to have this wall of a defense, but to allow eight goals, carry your weight on the offensive side because it's not being carried right now, and it's and it's quite frustrating not only for fans to watch, but I'm sure it's frustrating for the team. So they need to find their offensive power. I, I don't know if it's going to be a lineup change. I don't know if it's throwing in a player that might be a freshman that the coach didn't intend on playing, but we need some we need some fire lit on that offense, and maybe players that are a little comfortable need to remember that no spot is guaranteed in this world, in this sport, in anything. So switch up that offensive lineup, see what maybe some freshmen have, some some sophomore have, and and let's see if we can light a fire under their butts. That's that's what I say. I, I don't I, I don't have too much more to say, but you can't put it all on the defense because they just can't do it all. They can't. Yeah, I was at the game against LIU on September fourth, which resulted in a zero zero tie. It looked kind of evenly matched. A bunch of chances on both sides. Both teams just couldn't capitalize. And it was a little frustrating to watch because I could tell that our players individually were better than their players. I think we need to take one-on-ones. We, we need more, like Danny said, we, we need more fire up there. We need to capitalize on the set pieces and make more plays upfield. It's also the shots like cool we can take shots but are they on net i'm sorry but if i'm if i'm the coach i'm gonna say we're not ending practice until i see 15 consecutive shots on net we're not doing that you know i think it was providence college had 21 shots and then we had we had seven uh and then on goal out of the seven we had two so for instance so although providence had 21 shots on net well, I mean, 21 shots, 12 of them were on net. So the more, sh- like, you know, the more shots you take just only increases the chance that they're going to be on net because, again, you're not going to always get it on frame. That's just that's just the beauty of this game. It's not that easy. You're playing with your feet, not your hands. It's a very difficult sport. But in order for that to increase, you need to take more shots. So stop trying to dribble it too much. Again, just like the U.S. men's national team, don't be selfish. Look for the open pass. Shoot the ball. You cannot win this game of soccer without shooting the ball, without following up, without getting it done. It doesn't need to be a pretty goal. It doesn't. It just needs to be a goal. That's the difference. I, I don't know what the solution would be, but they need some more magic in the offense. Take so, more shots. That's, that's the solution. <laughs> Taking more shots um, seemingly would apply both to Fordham as well as the United States men's national team. Yep. Um, and as I had hinted at earlier, 
time will tell for both programs, uh, depending on when we hop on next week to record um, Fordham's. Well, they're obviously playing Fairleigh Dickinson this Saturday um, at FDU, and then they're playing Manhattan next Tuesday at uh, Manhattan. So hopefully Fordham can bolster their record. Um, maybe, hopefully, let's cross our fingers here, take two wins in those upcoming matches so that they move to a less ugly 2-3-1 and one record. And then the United States tomorrow night against Honduras, not to lose my mind, but if they don't win, I don't know if I will be alive to record the upcoming show. Ladies, any closing thoughts from us, you know, looking to the future here, praying for our mental well-being, watching these upcoming matches? I'd just like to ask you, Keenan, are we going to watch the game together? Because I'd like to see you, you know, blow a hat or whatever. <laughs> I watch alone off my laptop in my bedroom. And it's, it might resemble asylum of a room. I've got pillows, you know, blocking the door. So my okay. roommate can't hear me scream and my mattress it's memory foam. Thank God. So I don't hurt my hand, but <laughs> it, gets, it, it gets punched quite frequently as, as sad to say, as that is at 20 years old, that a soccer team still lives so rent-free in my, in my mental state, but it does. It sounds like a perfect invitation to me. I'll bring my boxing gloves and we can, you know, we can work it out together. Emma, what's going on with you? What's your final thoughts? I agree. I just hope both programs uh, have more success going forward and figure their stuff out. I just wanted to say to the Ram family, like, I believe you boys have it in you. You won the A-10 championship, but that's in the past now. So find whatever new identity you need to find. And, and believe in yourselves because you have it and it's just it's just gonna all come together but um don't don't you know don't play with those heads down just lift them up and, and keep fighting uh we have faith in you and um i can't say the same for the united states team but i can say the same for the brand family <laughs> yeah the next uh, next day and a half should be entertaining in keenan troy's mental well-being as well <laughs> looking to that Honduras game, literally praying to the heavens that we can get a win um, in Central America. But that's going to do it for our show, folks. Thanks for us coming by, checking us out. We'll be back next week if I'm alive, if the pulse is still kicking after this Honduras game. But for Danny Perry and Emma Zubko, I'm Keenan Troy. This is FUVFC presented by WFUV Sports. We will catch you all next week.